0: A Motorsports Analytics Podcast. I'm Alan Cavana, joined as always by David Smith. If you are a regular listener, you know we would say what episode number this is. But David, we were struck by some demons this week. The technological demons and all of its backups did not treat this positive regression podcast very well. Meaning... We had something in store for you, and it just didn't work out. But we are not going to half-ass this. We are going to use our whole ass, David, and give you the best damn Homestead Preview we can think of. Sound good?
1: Ah, oh, it sounds pretty good. I wish we had a backup car to go to after our practice <laughs> accident. Uh Unfortunately, that is not the way this world works. Uh, but we're going to make the best of a bad situation. And, yeah, I like what we have on tap for our Homestead Preview.
0: Yeah, good stuff. And I mean, Homestead. I mean, I don't know if you want to call it the first real race of the season, if that's fair. But look, we've been to a drafting track. We've been to, you know, stayed in Daytona, but went to a road course. But now we are at the bread and butter at a mile and a half track at Homestead, and that's where they're going. If we want to learn about the players this season, I think we'll learn a lot from the race in the next over the next few weeks. But first up. Is Homestead. And David, uh, you know, we, we always talk about what factors go into what makes someone successful at a certain racetrack. Speed will always be near the top of that list, right? But as I've learned from the Motorsports Analytics Instagram page this week, uh, Chase Elliott had the fastest car in the Daytona 500. He had the fastest car at the Daytona Road Course. And guess what? He didn't have victories in either of those races. So when we look at speed primarily, how much of a factor does that play into getting a victory at Homestead?
1: Boy, I mean, it, it really is its own beast compared to the rest of the 550 tracks. On the whole, results at the 550 horsepower tracks last year were random. And that is how you get Austin Dillon winning at Texas and Kurt Busch winning at Las Vegas. Even Brad Kozlowski winning the Coca-Cola 600. He did so with the 10th fastest car. But Homestead was its own beast. Speed mattered, at least statistically. And I'm looking at the correlation coefficient. It was strong. It was a plus 0. 0.9. A perfect correlation is plus 1.0. So this is nearly perfect. And if you'll recall last year's race, it was a, it was a great end to that race, a battle between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. But the standout of the race was rookie Tyler Reddick. And it should be said that his brilliant drive, certainly really exciting to watch, but it came about because he also had the second fastest car that day. So the speed he had to play with certainly helped the optics of his situation. And even still, we remember how the race was clinched. We dedicated an entire episode to the green flag pit cycle showdown between Denny Hamlin and Chase Elliott. Uh, we did that back on episode 66. I encourage our listeners to uh, go refresh themselves on that. Um, but the gist of it is that had Chris Gabehart pitted one lap later, uh, he said this. He believed Hamlin would not have beaten Chase Elliott. So while Homestead's results are heavily dictated by speed— more so than other 550 tracks last year, the slightest difference in strategy, we, we can say that it makes a difference, but it certainly did. There's evidence of that because that's exactly what happened last year. It's almost as if this racetrack is perfect in that it accentuates everything, every little detail needed to piece together a good race. And I don't know about you, Alan, but I quite fancy this track.
0: Yeah, and one thing I've liked about this track, we did a whole episode, uh, I think a few seasons ago at this point, about what what is your perfect race, or right? What's an ideal race? And one I pointed out was with the Homestead finale that Joey Logano won because it ended on a long green flag run. You know, there was a lot of there was a lot of potential leaders that day. All four drivers in the championship four were, were players that day. And the last few Homestead races, we have seen long green flag runs to end the race. It's just something about this racetrack. I'm looking up last year's race. I think it ended on a 92-lap green flag run. How do you think that factors into maybe the, the winners or who come, you know, the cream that rises to the top? How do these long green flag runs, specifically
1: at Homestead, factor into the results? It will certainly impact setup. Uh, I think Kevin Harvick's team is still smarting from bringing a short-run car to what turned out to be a, a long-run race in 2019. But with this aero package, the sensitivity in car setup, either for long runs or short runs, seems to be pronounced. Joe Gibbs Racing brought long-run cars in each of the last two Homestead races, and so did Chase Elliott's team, uh, fair to say, last year. And yes, that final stage, because it's longer than the, the first two stages, it begs for a, a long green flag run, but... Ultimately, if a powerhouse team decides that this is the direction they're going to go, they're going to bring a long run card homestead, then it would benefit others to bet big on the short run. And I'm thinking about Chip Ganassi racing when I say this. I'm thinking about Richard Childress racing. Some of the, uh, these teams who strategize really well around tires and yellow flag stops, that's their strength. If that's the case, supplement the strength with a good short-run car, because realistically, that is how they're going to win this race if they do at all. Going head-to-head with Joe Gibbs Racing or or Stuart Haas Racing and Kevin Harvick is probably not a good idea for most. Uh, going against the grain, and I think this could be really fun to see if it materializes on Sunday, that is the way in which we could potentially land an upset winner.
0: Can we? you mentioned Tyler Reddick before and how he did have a fast car last year. Can you balance those two things, trying to go the opposite strategy of the big teams, of the big favorites, but still try to rely on that speed? Can those two things balance out and put you out front?
1: I think you're going to have to. Uh, for one, I'm not certain Tyler Reddick's starting position, but I don't feel like it's great. Uh, the bigger teams are going to be starting closer to the front. So they're going to have that clean air right off the bat. There's going to have to be something different. Either it's the cadence of stops in between the first two stages or something big on what most likely will be a long run during the final stage. You're going to have to take action into your own hands if you are a leader on a pit box because that's going to be the best way to cut into that on-track delta, especially if it's guys like Denny Hamlin or Chase Elliott. They're going to be very hard to beat, and they're going to be fantastic out in clean air, so you're going to have to come up with something a little bit different. Tyler Reddick, wildly talented, and a tremendous passer, which we saw this track reward good passers last year. But, yeah, even with Maybe more speed than he would expect to have at his disposal. He's going to need that something extra just to get around that big hurdle, uh, that we're going to see from these big teams.
0: Yes. And, uh, check David 35th. He starts. So, uh, some, some strategy, at least in the beginning
1: would be uh, useful to Mr. Reddick <laughs> should be some, uh, something to watch for sure. I mean, that's he'll pass a lot of cars and this race is sort of designed like the one last year. I think the only big difference is there's. A choose rule, but uh, I want to talk about this because passing does matter. It doesn't, it, it matters in a sense that it can get you a few positions here and there, but the ability to pass at Homestead last year mattered more to the result than we've seen in past years. Its correlation coefficient was plus plus point six, and that is bordering on a strong relationship so that's going to cater to tyler reddick to kyle larson to christopher bell these drivers who really know how to pass and know how to work this racetrack
0: let's talk about christopher bell for a second uh, a few points i, I want to bring up about him only because david lat this week i made a, a youtube video saying look if you pick christopher bell to ha- get his first win on a road course you're probably a liar. But, uh, you know, I did expect improvement this year. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were I don't think anyone was expecting at a road course for him to go out and win so early. But it was certainly improvement, being in the 20 car, being a full-time, in the fold over at JGR. And he went out and got that win. Uh, another thing I was able to ask Denny Hamlin and Kurt Busch today, or uh, this week, about... Um, Christopher Bell is in new real estate, if you will, David. He has his best starting spot ever coming up at homestead he starts third in a good car that is fast this is new territory for a young driver we hear about this i've heard this for years about drivers making that leap you know from competing for 15th to 18th position to now suddenly having to pass chase elliott and having to restart against denny hamlin and how big how significant that is that's that's the real estate christopher bell will find himself in we'll see if he can keep himself there but if it's going to happen, it seems like this is the type of track where he should excel given what he's done in the past.
1: Yeah, and all of this is great news if you're Christopher Bell. Everything seems to be sort of falling his way. Uh, he was the top passer in the NASCAR Cup Series last season in general and on 550 tracks specifically. And when you think about Homestead, you think about which drivers have had Success at Homestead, uh, the traditional way wins and then the drivers who have looked exciting at Homestead. And with Christopher Bell for a former USAC dirt racer, he's not tremendously exciting to watch. I'm sorry. It's not, it's not necessarily a slight. This actually might work out in his favor at a track like this. He's, he's never really been the rim rider. He's more methodical. He's more of a prodder. He, He's, he drives similar to Chase Elliott or some other, you know, some former late model drivers, but optically he doesn't drive the way that Kyle Larson or Tyler Reddick do. And I actually think that that is fine. Uh, his style on the 1.5 milers, very traditional for guys that tend to win these kinds of races. And we've heard drivers. Wax poetic about Kyle Larson's ability. He's certainly fun to watch at Homestead. He's also never won at Homestead, not in the Cup Series. And I remember during uh, Casey Kane's pinnacle being told about watch out for Casey Kane. He's going to be tough to deal with riding that rim. He also never won at Homestead. So in that sense, Bell seems fine. And especially given that he's now... As you said, with a team with winning speed, with the best starting spot that he's ever had, this could be interesting. Uh, The last time we saw him on a a mile-and-a-half track, he finished third at Texas for Levine Family Racing. So he might—and he's not my pick to win, and I don't know about you, but I certainly think that he is in the mix to perform well and back up that road course victory with another solid outing.
0: If he is going to repeat, he will have to deal with restarts, of course, and that means dealing with the choose zone again. Yes, David, there is a choose uh, rule in NASCAR. It's just been so long, it feels like, since we've had to uh, use it because it hasn't been utilized the first two races of the year, given on the uh, types of races that they were. But yes, the choose zone is back in Homestead, so let's talk about restarts at the track First time we've seen the Choose Zone at Homestead. So how do you expect restarts to be affected by the Choose Zone now that drivers have an option?
1: Yeah, Denny Hamlin said this week that he didn't really think that the Choose Zone would have the kind of impact that would flip a race. And in a sense, I think that he's correct. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Choose Rule is utilized. If you go back and look at last year's race, the groove advantage switched after two rows. Uh, the inside groove was the strongest inside the first two rows. And then from row three on, the outside was not only stronger, but it saw a sizable advantage, greater than 50 percentage points. The teams that recognize that difference will be successful. And I'm sus- suspecting a few will whiff, Right. That could doom them. Um, or drivers will just land in the bad groove and that could dictate their race. We saw that last year. A driver who might be a positive regression candidate that you're not thinking of, Chase Elliott <laughs> finished, finished second, but six of his seven restart attempts in last year's race at Homestead emanated from the non preferred groove. And that was based purely on happenstance. There was no choose rule last year and he still finished second. So, Imagine what he could do. He's a (laughs) fine restarter in his own right. If he was able to pick his spot, or at the very least, he isn't as routinely disadvantaged.
0: All right, so we've picked out a lot of names. We mentioned Denny Hamlin, Tyler Reddick's got a shot, Christopher Bell, Chase Elliott with the ability to choose his own restart lane. What could he possibly do? So, David, I'll leave it up to you. Who are you picking to win, Homestead, and
1: why? As much as I like chase Elliott for this. I think my pick is going to be the defending winner. It's going to be Denny Hamlin. He gets this racetrack, Alan. I mean, just across different car eras, different rules packages he takes to this place. And I recognize that it might not have made financial sense, time sense to close gaps on the 550 tracks to JGR, just because this is the last year of this race car. And if no one is cutting in to their advantage, they brought the fastest car to last year's race. I'm making them my pick. I think they win because the field is just going to stick at status quo. So uh, until I see otherwise, Denny Hamblin, uh the favorite, the pole sitter, makes sense to me. Smart pick,
0: thinking with your head. I'm going a little bit uh, different. i like, thinking with my heart a little bit here, only because... Well, I I did. I I dove into the stats, David. Okay, Over the last 10-mile-and-a-half races, the driver who has scored the most points is Ryan Blaney. So I'm going to pick Ryan Blaney to win the race down in Homestead. He led 70 laps there last year. Again, he has the best average finish over the last 10-mile-and-a-half races. I I know it may sound like a crazy pick. I don't know why I'm going with it, but he, he finally closes it out. I think Ryan Blaney rough year, rough start to the year. I think he goes out and wins the race in Homestead. Is it that crazy?
1: No, not that crazy. I I I'm I'm risking sounding like a conventional racing pundit, but for Blaney to make that next step, he's going to have to start closing out races. And one of the things that I thought was going to improve by moving from Jeremy Bullens to Todd Gordon, as his crew chief, was not leaving races in which he clearly performed well, but re- leaving those races on the table. He was a poor top 15 efficiency guy for the last two or three years. That still was the case last season. And he's still young. He still has room to grow. And I think that growth begins when when he's becoming a fully realized driver. It begins with... Finishing out these races, maybe not wins, maybe just finish second, finish third, bring home these, these runs where clearly you're capable of finishing there because that's where you're at the majority of the race, but that has to start at some point. So it would make sense. If it starts at a track that we have seen him run well at.
0: All right. Well, uh, this year we've been, you know, last year we called them contrarian contenders. Now we're going to call them contrarian performers. Not necessarily drivers that are going out and compete for the win because, you know, the big boys, the big organizations, we know what they're going to do at a track like Homestead. But, David, for a contrarian performer, someone who may show out that maybe you're not expecting, maybe you'd want on your fantasy team for some value, who do you think can be a contrarian performer at Homestead?
1: Matt Benedetto has gotten off to a horrid start. He was in that lap 13 crash at Daytona. Uh, the road course, not his particular cup of tea, but this Homestead, mile and a half track, this should be a warm blanket <laughs> for him. Uh, he ranked second in this race last year in surplus passing value. That is something that we said is a correlative metric to success at Homestead. And he also ranked first in position retention rate across all restarts on 550 tracks last year. So on paper, he's covered on long runs and short runs. He had the 10th fastest car uh, in this race last year. If he can just duplicate that effort, I would expect him to be feisty. Maybe a a restart or two breaks in his favor and uh, he brings home a decent finish.
0: Let me drop this knowledge on you. He is starting 37th. Does that change anything for you? I have Greg Irwin, I think, on my chief fantasy team.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think ultimately what, what we saw last year were drivers that were able to pass, made their way through the field. I mean, that was sort of the story of Tyler Reddick's season uh, through the middle part of the year. Christopher Bell pretty much all the way through the end of the year. And given... De Benedetto's, you know, proficiency in this regard at this track, I feel pretty good. Um, if it were a shorter track, uh, maybe maybe I'm not feeling so hot, but this is a facility big enough where strategy comes into play. And Gregor, when we've talked about some of his failings last year, you picked him to turn things around this season. I think it can start here, and I also like some of the field, some of the drivers and his running whereabouts that he'll be competing against. I think it's safe to say he'll crack the top 20 at least by the end of the first stage, and if not, something has gone tremendously wrong.
0: Alright, you're going with Matty D. Uh, I like a Christopher Bell pick, but I don't think he's contrarian anymore. He's, he's earned his way out of that. Uh, I love a Tyler Reddick pick. We know what he'll be doing. Hopefully he puts on an entertainment, an entertaining race, but I'm going with his teammate actually, David. I'm going with Austin Dillon as my contrarian performer. Uh, same sort of logic I use with Ryan Blaney. The last 10 races on mile and a halfers, he has scored the 11th most points. So 11th best average finish as well. So he is knocking on that door of the top 10. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, Austin Dillon off to a hot start this year it wouldn't surprise me for him to at Homestead compete for a top 10 and, and stick around and see what's possible there and especially if they as we were talking maybe have to go on a different strategy but it would not surprise me whatsoever for Austin Dillon to get a top 10 in Homestead so he
1: is my contrarian performer I feel like that is not the first time you have made him a contrarian pick on a mile and a half track I mean, we we might have to dive in the records for that, but that's interesting. I think you're you're falling into a pattern there.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, I'm looking. Like, I'm, I'm bringing someone who might get you a top ten. That that's got to deliver something for <laughs> some players out there. Good stuff. All right, this has been not a regular episode of Positive Regression, but we will be back next week. Do not you worry. Uh, we are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary, and TuneIn. We're available no matter your device. Our entire back catalog of episodes is available for free at Pos pod.com if you like what you're hearing please leave us a rating or a review this helps in spreading the word it helps so much it really does so we do notice what you write it is so appreciated so please uh, hit those ratings and all you can do if you have any questions we'd love to hear them we love answering your questions because we have such a smart audience reach out to us on twitter at posregpod p-o-s-r-e-g-p-o-d david you are always working hard you keep adding jobs to yourself adding content what are you working on this week
1: this week on NBCSports.com, I look into the art of the restart. Uh, it's an article I've worked on for a while, but it contains exclusive interviews with Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney, and Matt DiBenedetto diving into their education as drivers, as restarters, how they work to stay good, all that good stuff. And my Homestead Race Preview, looking into analytics, trends, and strategy, that will post the morning of the race, Sunday morning. And also, uh, since you uh, did a little promo for the Motorsports Analytics Instagram account, I will add that it is there. Uh, please, if you're on Instagram, Motorsports Analytics, all one word. You will find some fun infographics throughout the season. Uh, If you're a visual learner, I think this will be up your alley.
0: Yeah, you will learn a lot, and you will learn it quickly. Uh, hit me up on Twitter, at Alan Kavana. Follow me on there. On YouTube, I'm getting that off the ground, at Alan Kavana Media on YouTube, making some videos on there. You'll hear know, from the drivers and the interviews that we do during the week, so I like to think there's some quality content on that page. Uh, also, make sure you watch NASCAR.com's Fantasy Live show. I hope you're a fantasy player. I hope you listen to this podcast and apply some of that knowledge. Uh, I try to apply some of that on the videos we do, Fantasy Live, every week. Uh, check that out on nascar.com, or uh, I'll make sure I tweet out a link on my Twitter account at Alan Kavana. And if you are still listening, first of all, thank you. Here is an early preview. We have something really cool coming up for after the Las Vegas race. That's all I'll say right now. Uh, if you're hearing this, tweet at me, because I want to know if you're listening this deep into the episode. So for David Smith, I'm Alan Cavana. This is Positive Regression. Have a great weekend watching the Homestead action. We'll see you next week.